Hi, this is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Another Star Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am with my co-host. She is more loyal than Chewbacca is to Han Solo, even though uh, I've been thinking a lot that maybe I should be saying Baze is to cheer it. But anyways, it's Lindsay. Ooh, I would say, I mean, first of all, thank you. I would actually say Lando to L3. Not the other way around. It has to be Lando is loyal to L3. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but you know what? I'll take it. Maybe, maybe. I'll take whatever you want to give me. Kanan is to Hera. Oh, I don't deserve that. I, I I like the thought, but no one deserves that. That's true. That's true. I like yeah. you, Lindsay, but I don't know if I would die for you. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. <laughs> Just saying. Um, no, but honestly, like I, I was watching Rogue One last night and I almost put a poll out on Twitter. I should have done it. But like, who's the better combo? Like, who's the better team? Baze and Chirrut in Rogue One or Han and Chewie in Solo? What do you think? Okay, team. Just team, I the better think duo. Actually, yeah, I, I think actually maybe Baze and Chirrut. Just because it, it does seem to be more of a give and take there. Whereas with Han and Chewie, I feel like Han takes a little bit more than gives. Yeah, that's fair. God, in life, if we can just find one person. I feel guilty for saying it, but. Right. Well, I mean, but then again, like Baze and Chirrut have been together for, we can assume, many, many years, whereas Han and Chewie are just meeting. And this is like kind of the start of their loyalty, which is why I feel like the poll isn't really fair, which is really why I didn't put it out. And also I was very tired. Um, But yeah, just interesting (laughs) Star Wars thoughts. So. Lindsay, we haven't done this on Don't Burn the Sacred Text in a while because we have been so overwhelmed with interviews and all kinds of different things. But what the heck are you reading lately? What are you into? So I've been continuing my little journey on – I got Audible for Dooku a little while ago, and I get those credits every month now. So I figured I'll put those to good use. And I've been re-listening to the old legends. So I've re-listened to the entire Bane trilogy, uh, Revan, Plagueis, and now I am redoing the legends, Heir to the Empire. Um, getting a little bit classic Thrawn. But for non-Star Wars, there's something that I've been looking for. Um, my sister had this book on her shelf forever. And I always asked to borrow it, but because she was still in grad school for education, she actually kept going back to it. So she was like, once I get my master's, 
you can borrow it. She gets her master's, moves to Texas, and I think I'm never going to see this book again, right? So I go to see The Joker. I tell my sister she has to go see The Joker. She does. We were talking about it. And she goes, oh, you know what? I actually left that book at mom and dad's. Why don't you go find it? Because the book's actually called The Psychology of Batman. And it goes through all these psychological principles, but it uses Batman. And I didn't realize it also used the Joker to go through the different decades and psychological research and different order uh, disorders in the DSM four TR at the time. Um, So she said that she thinks she left it at my parents. I go to my parents. I look through every single bookcase. I can't find it. And then last week, my mom actually came to visit me, and I was mentioning how I tore it all apart. And she goes, oh, no, I actually put them in the bathroom in the basement because I'm not sure what to do with all of it. So I thought I would ask Cindy at Thanksgiving when she (laughs) comes home. I was like, why would I ever think to go to my mom's basement bathroom to find this book? But that is next on my list to read now that I think I might finally know where it is. Just think, though, you should be grateful because if your mom had kept all your Star Wars books, think about how much you would have to go through. So oh, really, really, mom's the hero here. Look, I wouldn't go that far, and I'm certainly not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell her you're defending her because I'm never gonna hear the end of it. <laughs> but, but I will thank her. Thank you on her behalf. All right, I'll take it. Um, so I am actually reading the novelization of A New Hope for the first time. How is it? Okay. It's weird because it's the same stuff that happens. And the, I can't quite tell exactly how much is Alan Dean Foster, because, of course, he, he was the ghostwriter for that, and how much is actually George Lucas, who is credited. But seeing what we saw with the prequels, I'm going to put a lot of this on on George Lucas. The dialogue is terrible. Yeah, that sounds like George Lucas. It's so, like, the the dialogue in the prequels is at least, like, it's okay. It's cheesy sometimes, but, like, in in the novelization, he just adds all this extra stuff in there that you don't need. Um, Like, Especially when Ben's talking, it's a lot less eloquent. It's a lot more explaining. So there's not it doesn't the force doesn't have the mythos of of how you feel in the movie. Mm. And it's interesting because and then of course, and this is something that bothers me when when Star Wars authors do this, is Alan Dean Foster gets really sci fi into like how hyperdrive works and uh. Uh, the history of Yavin four it just stuff that just really has nothing to do with actually the movie or the yeah the story. it doesn't quite matter yeah so which which I mean in a two hundred and twenty page book is is kind of annoying but what I found really interesting and, and this is something that kind of took me by surprise I got a hundred and twenty pages in to a hundred and or excuse me two hundred and twenty page book before we got to the Death Star wow. Yeah. Which is incredibly disproportionate from the movie. I mean, in the movie, yeah, we spend a good amount of time before getting there, but 
not more than 50%. Yeah, it's a lot. And I mean, they have this stuff with uh, Luke seeing the battle and the the Biggs deleted scene back in. I mean, the story is really faithful, um, but it's kind of an adventure back in, in history because... They see th- things like uh, super light instead of sublight engines. Um, droids hmm. is written with an apostrophe um, in the front. Oh. The force is not capitalized. All kinds of stuff where you're like, with the what you know, decades of reading Star Wars books that we have under our belt, you're like, this is just weird. So, I'm interested to see. I'm gonna. I'm my goal is to get through the original trilogy books uh, before. Rise of Skywalker comes out, which I think I should have enough time. Um, hopefully, I can get through uh, the new books we have coming out. Also, um, you know that'll that'll obviously take precedence because that's actually leading into it. The only one I'm not reading, and I refuse to reread it, even though I have it on my bookshelf, is the Force Awakens novelization because that was just terrible. And you and I really, really differ on that because I love the Force Awakens novelization. Oh. I literally, I don't know. It just, hot take, made me claw my eyes out. It just, I'm, and and I'm sure, well, I, I don't know anything about Alan Dean Foster, so this is not an attack on him. I'm just not a fan of his writing. I, everything that I've read from him, I've just been very underwhelmed. And I think a lot of that is because he's a sci-fi author, and I'm not a sci-fi guy. I'm, I'm more into the fantasy and the, the lure and stuff. So when the books get into, you know, all the, the science of star Wars, I'm like, this is just not hashtag, not my star Wars, you know? Um, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I just don't agree that he went overboard on it in the force awakens novelization. I like all of the, not backstory, but I feel like he clarified a lot about Kylo Ren and Snoke in that relationship and how Kylo was uh, really doing that force probe into Poe and Ray. And I, maybe it was the subject matter more, but I really like seeing why it was that Ray and Poe found it to be such torture and getting a little bit more about what exactly was awakening in Ray. I thought he did a really good job in shedding light on that without over-sciencing it. Maybe I'll maybe I'll revisit it in an audiobook form. Mm. That, I think that might be a better option than actually sitting and reading it. Because, um, God, there's so many books coming out. I don't know if I'm going to have enough time. I know. I know. We're about to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. But... We got to get crazy with what we're talking about today because we have three things to cover today. We are going to talk about Spark of Resistance, the new uh, – I can't, I never know what to call this level book. Young Readers? Is it – I think it's like junior novelization. Junior novel. Okay, the junior novel, Spark of Resistance. And then we also thought it would be apropos to get into the Snoke and Kylo Ren Age of Resistance comics. And kind of do a State of the First Order slash State of the Resistance episode before we get into uh, Resistance Reborn, which is, from all uh, reports, going to just blow our minds and and is a very heavy um, book in terms of lore and content. So let's go ahead and jump into Spark of Resistance by Justina Ireland um, and and just start off, Lindsay, what are your overall impressions of, of the book? You know, I thought it was cute. Um, It's always hard for me to 
go and jump into a book like this where it's not young adult, it's not a typical novel, it is truly a junior novelization. And I had to put it down the first night that I was reading it because I forgot that. And it was so weird to go and see this almost oversimplification of the characters and the dialogues. But it was because it's intended for this really, really much younger audience. But once I can get past that, I thought there was a lot of good content here. And there was some good information on the characters that we needed, specifically Ray and Poe. Um, you know, we can talk a little bit more about Rose. I'm still up in the air, not on her character, but on the way they handle her character in some of this material. Mm-hmm. But overall, I, I thought it was a cute story. I thought it divulged enough information that I can understand these characters a bit more. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this whole series of books because it, it kind of delves into um, the psychology of the characters on a very on a very base level, but it, it, I think it kind of gets to the core of who they are. Uh, we had that with you know Luke struggling to become a Jedi, Leia in Moving Target struggling with, with being a leader that people are dying for, um, even Rose and her psychology in, uh, what was that, Bomber, Com- Cobalt Squadron. Squ- Cobalt Squadron. Yeah, my Darth Maul action figure is blocking it, so I couldn't see the title of the, the book. Um, <laughs> But this one, yeah, I think it goes goes right along with it. Is it kind of gets down to the core of like what drives these people? Um, where in the in the larger novels, the young adult and the adult novels, we get deeper into them. But I feel like these are very core elements. And if you you take a look at Star Wars for kids, you know, kind of thing, getting down to these core elements, I think is is really important to remind ourselves, like who these people really are. And at the end of the day, I think this book really shows that. And I liked I liked reading a book where you you didn't feel like the bad guy was going to get redeemed. Like it was just it was very easy to follow. It it was a very simple um story obviously because it's a junior novel, but I felt like it says a lot about Ray and Poe in particular, well, let's come back to, to Rose in just a little bit. But I think for Ray, just kind of seeing how she is is handling this post, uh, you know, Last Jedi time is really interesting because she's kind of doesn't know exactly what she's supposed to be doing, which is very much like Luke Skywalker, except... I feel like Ray is a little bit more mature about it than Luke was. What do you think about that? I think she is in spark of the resistance. And when we get to it later on, not so much in star Wars allegiance, the comic book series, I think in allegiance, she is shockingly more like Luke in the sense that she wants to go out and have adventures and have this action packed life. Whereas in spark of resistance, she still has some Luke like qualities, but I would agree. She is a little bit more mature and she is willing to listen to arguments from different people, specifically Rose. And she is more open-minded in how she deals with people. And she steps into a leadership role pretty 
pretty seamlessly for someone who spent her life in isolation. But overall, I like it. And I got okay. I got to ask you this, especially with Ray. I don't know if this was some fantastic revelation that I had, or if I was just being dense up to this point. But at first, when I started reading this, it was a little frustrating because with Ray and especially Poe. And seeing how Poe deals with certain things, like when he finds out that the First Order knows who he is, and he's like starstruck by himself, there's some moments where I'm like, oh my God, Justina Ireland isn't writing these characters correctly. You know, like Poe would never do that. Ray would never say it like that. And then I sit down and I think, wait, yes, they would. I just don't know them well enough because up until recently, we really and truly only know these characters through two movies. It's not like everyone we grew up with or people, uh, characters on the TV shows that we've had all this other material from. So it's so weird for me to wrap my head around and say, okay, the, the way that these authors are writing these characters right now that's their voice. That's who they are. And it doesn't really matter if I think the author is doing it correctly. You know, we talk about um, Daniel Jose Older and he writes Lando really well, but not Han and so on and so forth. Whereas these new characters, we're still finding their voice. And that is something that's so weird for me to start wrapping my head around. I would say even more than that, we're still understanding their arc right like we don't know Mm. where this ends i think it's a lot easier to reconcile luke in weapon of a jedi or in the the early one of the star wars comics where i mean even in in uh heir to the jedi where he's struggling a lot and he's still being that whiny kid because things aren't going his way and stuff like that even though we've seen him blow up the death star because he hasn't but but we know where he ends up in Return of the Jedi. We know that he becomes, you know, what he becomes in The Last Jedi. And so because of that, I think we can kind of come to terms with with the character a little bit more and accept kind of the whiny, uh, younger version of him because we appreciate where he's come from. It's the same thing that happened with Ahsoka. You know, everybody hated Ahsoka for the first, mm-hmm. like, season and a half, two seasons of Clone Wars. And now, I mean, all you have to do is hint at Ahsoka being thought about being talked about for anything. And shoot, any new Star Wars project, they're like, there's rumors of Ahsoka. Of course there is. There's always rumors of Ahsoka, right? Because we appreciate the arc and the the place that she she got to at the end of Clone Wars and Rebels. So I think once we get a full story with these characters, and and this is why I there's a part of me that really hopes that episode nine I mean, it's going to end the Skywalker saga, but I hope in a way it also is like an end of the timeline for Star Wars because I want to know that like Ray and Ben's stories are done so I can look at the full arc of their story. Because one thing that kind of I was thinking about reading Spark of Resistance is how different that Ray is from the one in Allegiance, like you were saying, mm-hmm. uh, because you have a very like happy-go-lucky Ray in this one and a very frustrated Ray in the other one. And so it's kind of, like, I, I get it. It's kind of hard to reconcile those two things, but I think also, like, 
we're at 2.5 out of a three-act story. You know, we haven't gotten to the real resolution yet. So I reserve judgment. I think that's what, I, what yeah. I'm basically yeah. trying to say. And, and I completely see where you're at with that, and I agree. And with that being said, I'm cool with having Spark of the Resistance be a larger piece of that puzzle. Obviously, as Nine comes out and uh, Resistance Reborn comes out and all this other th- all these other materials start coming out, this is going to be a smaller and smaller piece. But for this being one of the only things we have right now, I like what she did with the characters. I thought it was appropriate what she did. You know, it wasn't completely life-changing or canon-changing, but it was a good way to dive into their headspace and find out where they're at right now, with the exception of Rose. I think if this was an episode of Clone Wars or Rebels, we would call it a filler episode or a filler arc. Yeah. Which, think, you know, about every time we say that, especially in Rebels, you're like, oh, this is just Comes filler. back. And then the Pergo yep. will come back and, you know, save everybody. And so I kind of feel like this is kind of going to be something like that where we're going to look back at it and we're going to look at Ray and Poe and Finn and Rose all together in the epic that is The Rise of Skywalker, which is such a, a grandiose story that they're telling. And we're going to look back at this story and appreciate kind of seeing them come together a little bit more. Something that I yeah. found really interesting, though, was the was the dynamic between Ray and Poe. Um, because there's a lot of, you know, back and forth with them about flying the Falcon and they seem to have really just kind of hit it off. You know, they really just met for the first time, um, at the end of the last Jedi and now they are working together and (laughs) I need your opinion on something. Okay. I'm worried. Does Ray now listen to me all the way through? Just go ahead. Just say it. Is I still don't understand how the Falcon is raised. Like, is there a will or something? I don't know. Like, did Han be like, give it to the girl? And they're like, who's the girl? And then there's a camera cut, and we never really find out why she gets the camera. I, I just. <sighs> I'm thinking Leia. You think so? I could accept that. I think so. But like, yeah, I, I feel my like guess, would go to my Leia. guess is Leia. Okay. Okay. That's, yeah, but that's Leia probably opinion. didn't want it. Yeah, I'm going to go with it was automatically assumed it was not so much Leia's, but Leia's to give away. Okay, headcanon. I appreciate that. Thank you. I can sleep tonight. It's been a while. Uh, I'm glad I can help. But, you know, so going back to Ray and Poe, I was actually really surprised because in the very beginning, it makes it sound like the two of them are thick as thieves. And at this point, they've been working together for so long. They seem to know each other so well. But then as the story goes on, we find that they're still finding out a lot about each other and the way in which they like to work. So what I liked was it it reminds me of uh, one of my good friends. I met him through work. And when we first started working together, everyone else thought that we met beforehand and they genuinely thought that we, you know, knew each other for years. It turns out we grew up in the same town. So when we were talking about that, they thought we went to like high school together or something. When really we had just known each other for two weeks, we just hit it off so well. 
And that's how, by the end of the book, I felt about Ray and Poe, where if I didn't know any better, if I were on a ship with them and watching them talk in the beginning, I would have been like, oh, these guys knew each other for years. These guys grew up best friends. And then like, oh, oh, they just met. Oh, they're still learning about all of this. So I really like that. And it it feels natural to me in a way that some other relationships didn't exactly feel natural at first. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think you're really onto something there because they're kind of, it's the cause, you know, a cause will bring people together very powerfully. Look, look what happens, you know, after huge tragedies. Let's, let's take 9-11, for example, you know, that bring, that brought America together, you know, very quickly and, and all the things that separate us kind of washed away for a good time there, but eventually those things have now come, come back in. Right. And that's kind of the same situation that they're facing is, you know, the the tragedy at Starkiller, the tragedy at Dakar, you know, barely escaping Crate, all these these terrible things that even though they suffered them separately, they went through them together. Um, and, and so, you know, the person who you've you've never met before becomes a little bit easier to connect with and and trust because they have the same pain and they have the same scars that you do in a sense. Um, Hmm. It, it's it's interesting because tr- I mean tragedy really does tend to bring us together you know with other people very quickly and I guess just what I what I'm kind of wondering is is Rise of Skywalker going to be the first time that Finn, Ray, and Poe have gone on a mission together because unto this point, it seems like they're keeping them kind of separated. You know, here you have Ray and Poe, but not Finn. And then you have um, in Allegiance, you have Finn and Poe together, and then Ray's off with Leia and Rose. I guess, I mean, all obviously Resistance Reborn could probably change the game here and and have them all together but do you think we're going to see these characters together before rise of skywalker do you mean before the release of rise of skywalker or at any time after december 19th do i think there will be a story where the three of them are together yes let's go with the second one let's go with both okay um hmm i I don't know because I don't really know what's going to happen in Resistance or Reborn. I don't think we're going to see them together in that the entire time. I think they'll be working together towards the same thing, but at some point separate. I do think at some point after the Rise of Skywalker, we'll see them all together. But it's going to have to be for something drastic. Because if we think about where the Resistance is right now... They're really, really trying to build up. So maybe, and this is going to be some a question for someone who knows military strategy better than I do. I don't know if it makes sense to keep three of the strongest players together the entire time as opposed to having each one go out and work towards a specific goal. You know, I think there's too much to be done in the resistance right now to 
have one storyline all the way through. So I think that eventually we'll see them together, but it's going to have to be for a really, really big purpose and mission. Yeah. And in, I mean, you're looking at the, the resistance versus the first order here and the resistance is all about, you know, helping the little man very much like the rebellion. And in this story, we see them, they're supposed to be doing something else, but they have the, the, the latitude to go and, and help this community of, um, of Zixon. And even though like their mission is to get the supplies that is, are desperately needed to the resistance. And, you know, we saw kind of the same thing in Black Spire where, Vi was was taking risks that she shouldn't have been taking if you think just military strategy wise because it was the right thing to do and on this most recent episode of star wars resistance uh on in live fire i think is what it was called we heard uh the former imperial tie pilot griff uh they said you know i thought what was it i thought the imperial pilots didn't look out for other people and he says that's why we lost or something to that nature right and so and then in the trailer, um, you know, we hear that you're coming together will be your undoing. There's a lot they're putting on the table here about people coming together for what's right versus, you know, what's easy, um, which I think Kylo, which we'll get into a little later, but he does what's easy versus versus what's right. A, do you think just logistically, is this a smart way to run the resistance? And B, do you think that that's going to be what makes the difference in the end for the resistance being victorious? <laughs> I, you know, I, my gut is to say, no, it's not a smart way to run the resistance, but at the same time, it's general Organa calling the shots here. And I feel like you got to respect that. You know, I, I mean, a, a Hollywood writer or an author, might not know what's best, but we need to trust that General Organa knows what's best. So I don't know. I, I kind of trust that strategically. Yes, it is what's best for the resistance, especially because I personally cannot come up with a better alternative. I think it's a terrible idea um, for the resistance. What would you rather do then? I mean, you think about how few people there were left at the end of The Last Jedi. And, I mean, you you have to be very strategic about what you do. Now, that said, even though I, I think the strategy is, I don't want to say careless, but not, not thoroughly thought through, I think it's the right thing to do. And it's what I hopefully hope I would do in the situation. And I think it is what's going to make the difference, uh, you know, in the end. Because that's what Star Wars is about, right? It's about helping everybody no matter what it costs you. It's about, you know, helping the the little man, you know, the underdog, which like literally, you know, those who are like underground in, in this story. And I think that's, again, when we're looking at these junior novels, we're getting back to the core of what Star Wars is. We're kind of dwelling it down to its simplest terms so that kids can can get it and so the messages kind of they kind of slap you in the face um and i and i think that's kind of the message that slapped me in the face on this one is 
it's not about the military strategy because yes, the the galaxy is at war, but for the resistance, it's not about fighting a war. It's about helping the galaxy. Whereas for the first order, it's about winning a war. Uh, I was also routinely brought back to our conversation with Kevin Scott and how he was explaining when he is writing a story, he's okay writing the bad guys, but in his mind, it's so important for the younger readers to understand that, yeah, there's always going to be bad guys and you need to write some evil and maybe even some horror into a story, but then you need to show the consequences. And when you had mentioned earlier that you liked having a young adult or a young reader junior novelization because you didn't need that, you know, the bad guy's going to be redeemed or explained away. It was just a bad guy with consequences. And I thought, you know, just taking it back to spark of the resistance. Yeah. It, it was so star Wars because it showed that hope and it showed the good guys fighting the good fight. It also just had the classic, bad guys being bad guys, but then ending ending up pay, paying for it. Yeah, it, it felt very much like Black Spire to me. Like, which, I mean, obviously, we're talking Delilah Dawson, so that's saying a lot. But it it just, when I was reading it, I had the same feeling I, I was having when I read Black Spire, which is very much like, again, it's about doing what's right, not doing what's easy. It's about helping people, not winning a war. Like if you, like at the end of the day, if you win that war, and the galaxy still sucks, what did you really do? You know. Um, so, and yeah, the the bad guy has consequences. I think just to kind of close out our my thoughts on on this book because again, it's a it's a. Well, younger... hold on, hold okay. on though, because we can't we can't close out our thoughts without talking about Rose in this. Well, hold on, hold on. Before we get there, because I think this kind of goes with what we're talking about with the resistance in particular, and then we can we can go to Rose. The, the um, what's her, her name? The character who is like secretly a, uh, a spy for the resistance. Glenna Kip. Yes, Kip. Okay. I think she is really interesting because one, I was like at the beginning, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Why is she doing this? And of course, you know, you get the monologue later on explaining it. But the idea that the resistance has people everywhere and that maybe they're not fully in the resistance, but they are supporting the resistance in any way they can, I found really interesting. I don't know what it means. I don't know if maybe when we get to episode nine on Pasana, we're going to find some of those people or maybe, you know, one mm. of those spies is going to make uh, make the difference in the story. But there does seem to be a lot of mention of spies and people who are undercover between, you know, Vi and Black Spire and now in Spark of Resistance. And so I just found it kind of interesting. So maybe just something to put yeah. in the back of your head. But, and uh, I think realistic too, though, because it this was something that always seemed a little strange to me as a kid and almost even more so as an adult was that in the rebellion, it was people who gave up everything for the rebellion. But having these spies or people not quite as committed as Glenna Kip and as 
um, everyone who I recruits in Black Spire who are like, you know what? Yeah, we'll we'll help you out. We're still going to go on with our day to day life. But, yeah, we'll help you out when we can. That seems to be a much more realistic way to think of things. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're not going to go all in just right away like that. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting that we're getting this wide range of characters both on screen and in the novels. But speaking of those characters, like you said, we got to talk about Rose. So I know you have big time thoughts on Rose in this book. So I'm going to let you, you take it from here. Yeah. So it's it's and I think the reason why I have issues with it isn't because it's isolated to this book. It carried over into allegiance as well. And I said to you that I I don't mind Rose. You know, she's not my be-all, end-all favorite character. But I certainly don't dislike her, especially the way a lot of other people dislike Rose. I'm fine with her. And you expressed concern to me off-air that you were concerned about the way she was going to be handled in The Rise of Skywalker. And you were worried about the lack of merchandise with her and the lack of marketing with her. You know, she only, even in the trailer, had one quick shot, if I remember correctly. Um, my my worry isn't that. I'm okay if she has a smaller part in Rise of Skywalker, as long as that means she's not shoehorned into something. I don't want her to be forced into this great, big role if it doesn't fit the narrative. And my concern is after spark of the resistance and after now being three out of four issues into allegiance, she is very much going to be shoehorned in as just Finn's love interest and nothing else. Because I felt like every single time she is on a page here or every panel she's in, in allegiance, all she's doing is just worrying about Finn or wondering where Finn is or bringing up that Finn isn't there. And it's like her only purpose in these stories is to serve as a reminder that Finn is out there somewhere doing something. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's the, the biggest issue I have with Rose's or really not even the biggest issue. The only issue I have with Rose's character, because I really do like Rose and I like what she represents both both for the narrative and for the fandom but that that kiss in last jedi just bugs me and i probably should have put it on my top three bottom three when we did that with sky talkers but it just seems out of nowhere and even in the novelization you see her kind of discovering finn as the hero but a lot of it is like why is he all about this ray thing and then out of nowhere, you know, it's it's their kissing and and stuff, and so I would I would have to agree with you there. Um, I think especially especially if Raylo actually happens like on screen, we see Ray and Kylo kiss or or whatever, you know, not just that they team up, but that they actually are a love thing. And then you also have Rose and Finn as a love thing. I think you you just eliminate. It's going to be too much. It's going to be too much. Yeah, like you're going to be like, oh yeah, you know, there's there's Rose and Finn, but have you seen Ray and Kylo? And so 
Yeah, I I I think I'm kind of with you. I would be okay seeing her. We obviously have seen her. She's she's very much a leader in the resistance now. I can't remember exactly what rank they've announced for her, but I would be okay with seeing her, you know, giving commands a couple times or, you know, the the big three are in need and she's the one that sends the squadron to help them out or something like that. I want her to have an impact. I want what she does to matter, but I don't need it to be all over. What am I trying to say? I don't need it to, to I don't need her to be a central focus of the story as much as I do, especially if it's just a love interest thing. Because I'm kind, I'm, ti- I'm tired of love interest things. I'm just tired of them. I know everyone keeps asking me if I think Ray will end up with Kylo or Poe or Finn, and every time I'm like, it's not that I'm gonna mind if it's one of those three. It's just that I don't think it needs to happen. I I would much rather see our main characters just end up as you know these well developed characters on their own. I. I mean, Ray and Kylo are going to team up in this movie, guys. It's going to happen. Um, I think it's going to be a very much a Cassian Jin kind of thing in the elevator, where you know, depending on what mood you're in, you may end up saying like, "Yeah, they would, they would kiss, they would get together," or. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, what do you mean? What kind of mood you're? I don't care what kind of mood you're in. Of course, they would have. I mean, there's times when I think they would, and there's times that I think they wouldn't. No. Yeah. yeah of course they would have. All right, well, that's the Twitter poll we have to put up now. I, so we, I we do have to 100% say. 100% of people, 100% of the time, think so. I, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Oh, let's do it. Okay, I'll do it. Um, I do have to say, after this last time watching it, I noticed Jin's hand around his neck for the first time ever, and I was like, like in the elevator, her hand is like curled around. I never noticed that before, so I'm more in your camp than I was, you know, last time I watched Rogue One. But okay, I I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a little um, ambiguous, and I think that's because you do have the people who want Rey on her own. You know, strong, independent female, you know, doesn't need a love interest to to matter. You have the people who want Raylo to be an actual thing. You have the people who want Raylo to not be a thing. And all three of those camps are I think are are very vocal. Um and and all three of those camps I think that's a lot of the fandom is basically what I'm trying to say. And so All right, I, so since we're talking about it. And, you know, I think we're we're in the same place with Rose that in these ancillary materials so far, she seems very misused. I won't say she's a bad character in them. I won't say she's not needed in them. I'm just going to say she feels misused I think that would in be, what we've seen so far. That'd be a good word. Yeah. OK. OK. So now since we're going on to Ray and Kylo, I got to hear your thoughts on. Not even the Kylo issue, um, which I thought was great, but the Snoke issue and what we now know about Kylo Ren. All right, man. Talk about something that just completely just blew open the whole story of Kylo Ren. I I find it really interesting that they actually had the... 
the guts to go back to Dagobah and to, to actually take him to the exact same spot that Luke was at and, and to make him face something very similar to Luke. But And I wrote this in uh, the article that I wrote on this comic, and I'll link that in the episode, but... I mean, he he had never looked more like a sad, broken puppy than he did right there. Mm-mm. I mean, and and I put the, these these pictures. So for nothing else, you know, just kind of for a side by side, check out the article. But when I got Buzz, my dog, I mean, literally, I looked at the picture and I was like, "That's exactly what Buzz looked like." You know, when right before he, you know, pretends to kill um, Han and Leia you just have this image of him and it's just his eyes and he just looks so sad. And I think it's really interesting because I think the cave shows us not just what we fear, but also what is holding us back. And that might seem a little obvious saying it, you know, with what Snoke says here, but for Luke, the the fear of turning to the dark side i think was hindering his ability to fully connect with the force as you know um but also the you know and and that's kind of the fear thing but also this incessant need for his father i think was holding him back from being able to become his own person and it's when he gets that shattered open that I think he's able to fully become who Luke Skywalker is going to be, which is what he needs for Anakin Skywalker to return. And I think we're kind of seeing the same thing with Kylo here is he needs to face this. And this is, I mean, not a a new idea, but he needs to face this thing that's holding him back, which is the legacy of the Skywalkers, which he, you know, and the solos, which he faces in this comic. And it's only when he separates that, that it's going to allow him to, to be who he is supposed to be. So I don't know. You know, I, I would equate the cave to something a little bit different actually. Um, and that would be, if you remember it, the compass in pirates of the Caribbean that points to what your heart wants the most. And I don't remember which pirates movie it was, but you know, Johnny Depp looks at it and at first, you know, it points to the ship and then Elizabeth and, and the whole thing is he doesn't really know what he wants the most. I think the cave shows our heroes what they should be the most afraid of, because I don't think Luke really understood at that point that he should be afraid of falling to the dark side. I don't think he understood the force enough at that point, especially the dark side of the force and all of the power that it held and all the potential he had to fall to it. I think the cave was introducing him to that for the very first time. Same with Kylo. I don't think he really understood going into the cave that he should be afraid that this is what his master would ask him to do. I think at that point he still had enough trust in Snoke and the cave was showing him if you're going down the path, this is going to be what's demanded of you. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I I think the two ideas kind of work together, right? Because the dark side, to fully give itself to you, you have to to let go of the things that you 
care about and the things that you love. And for Luke, you know, he had to also let go of his idea of, you know, the Jedi as warriors in order to win the day in Return of the Jedi, right? Your weapons, you will not need them. He takes them in there. What I... And we can kind of, like, dig into these two comics together, the Kylo and the Snoke comic, because I, I think there's a lot of parallels to them. And one of those, since we're talking about the cave, is how he destroys the cave from the inside. And then in the Kylo Ren comic, he destroys the Zillow Beast from the inside. Oh, wow. I think there's, I, I think they're saying something there about Kylo Ren destroying things from the inside, a la the First Order. And we've seen that start with Snoke. And maybe that's about to blow wide open in Rise of Skywalker. Um, wow. And, and I even have ideas about, you know, there's been a lot of talk about World Between Worlds and, and maybe that blue behind them being a portal. I, I really, and I've believed this for the longest time, I really believe we're going to go into a World Between Worlds Mortis type going into the force. I don't think they're going to call it world between worlds. I don't think they're going to call it, um, you know, mortis or anything like that. I, I think they'll just keep it as the force in the film itself, but I think they're going to go inside the force and, and Kylo is going to have to destroy the dark side from the inside out. What are your thoughts on that? I love that thought. I did not put two and two together between the Zillow beast and how he destroys the cave from the inside out. I absolutely love that revelation. And I love that you made that connection. I do think you're really onto something there. Um, I, I hope you're right. And I hope that that is the redemption that we end up getting because I do not want, and I don't see how it's going to make sense for Ben Demption to be 100%, Ben comes back to the light side, lives happily ever after, and all is forgiven. I don't think that makes sense. I want to go back to what I had referenced before, our interview with Kevin Scott, when he says there has to be consequences for evil. And in this case, the consequence would easily be a self-sacrifice to go into the into the darkness and destroy it. Um, you know, I, I also, um, kind of struck by a particular Bible verse, you know, I try not to get too, too, too specifically religious, uh, when equating things to the forest, but it is certainly connected to a lot of religions. And there's one Bible verse, you know, the, the light shines through the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. That would be the perfect representation here of Kylo going into the darkness and the darkness can't overcome him. I think it would make sense for Bendemption. It would make Kylo the strong character that we've wanted and he hasn't always been able to step up to be. And it would re be a really nice arc for him. Yeah, I absolutely – I think that's exactly the direction that they're heading. And I think these two comics show us that um, in – the Kylo Ren issue where he is fighting the Zillow Beast, if you think back to when we last saw the Zillow Beast, it was when Palpatine was trying to use it as a weapon. Uh, so Kylo goes inside the weapon of Palpatine and destroys it. Kind of like the Death Star, kind of maybe like the Dark Side of the Force. But then also, you know, in both these issues, we see him not... 
I don't think we see him fully giving himself to the dark side. And here's why I say that, because a lot of people are probably thinking, but the Kylo Ren comic, he's like literally leading the First Order into war. Yes, but look at that last panel and look at how he's drawn without his mask on. He's drawn very much like like a prince. Like there's you you can't deny it. Put him put his image next to any Disney prince that you know ever. He looks like a Disney prince in that last shot when he's being told he won. But even more so in the Snoke comic, you know, which we see him with his mask off pretty much the whole time. He's obviously this is this is obviously when he's much younger. He looks like he's a a, a he, he's drawn like he's a teenager, but I guess with his turn, he would probably be mid-20s or so. But he he's in this nexus of the dark side, and he's able to destroy it, you know? And, and it's this thing that is so powerful that, like, even Yoda has reverence for it. And he just is able to destroy it because... I don't think the the dark side is ever able to consume him. I don't think if the dark side had fully consumed him, he would have been able to destroy it because I think he would have just been its its slave, its servant. Let me ask you this. If you don't think that he's fully given himself to the dark side, do you think he wants to and he just hasn't been able to yet because he is either too strong or too weak? Or do you think he really does want to toe that line, convince everyone that, yeah, I've joined the dark side, but he doesn't want to fully give himself over just yet. No, I absolutely think he wants to give himself completely to the dark side. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't I don't say that to justify the acts that he's doing. I don't say that to justify the acts that the First Order are doing or saying that redemption and forgiveness are the same thing. I've been a big proponent of that for a very long time. Vader is redeemed. He is not forgiven. They're very different things. Redemption is an internal thing. Forgiveness is an external thing. And so I think the same thing we need to keep in mind when we're talking about redemption is it doesn't forgive all the acts that he's done, which is what I like you saying, you know, that maybe that self-sacrifice in, in an even larger scale than what Vader did is what we need there. Maybe an actual physical rise and rebirth and resurrection is what we need there i don't know exactly what we need they don't pay me jj abrams money so i don't spend the time <laughs> trying to come up with a if you want to i'll throw some things against the wall and see what sticks but until then i'm gonna wait till the movie comes out but i do think yes he he wants to give himself fully to the dark side but because of his equal potential in both the light and the dark he's unable to do that i think that's why he has the cracked lightsaber i think that's why he is so vulnerable and I don't want to, I don't want to say he's weak because I don't think he's weak, but I do think he's very vulnerable. Um, I think that's why he has his fits of anger. You know, Vader was always a very controlled aggression. You know, he, he, yes, he choked people to death, but it, he wasn't, you know, ripping up stuff with a lightsaber because he was a little upset, which we've seen Kylo Ren do. So again, not justifying, his actions but yeah i don't think i think he wants to give himself fully to the dark side but i think there's something larger out there that's not allowing it possibly the fact that palpatine still in some form exists 
and is taking up so much of the dark side energy or something of that nature. Wow. Real hot take on Ben there. I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. Wow. Probably more than is healthy, if we're being completely honest. I want to get your thoughts on Snoke, though, because okay. when Force Awakens came out, there was the idea thrown out that, you know, because Snoke's a huge hologram, that Snoke is really just a man behind the curtain. He's the Wizard of Oz. I think the Snoke comic more than ever before solidified that. And I've kind of always had this idea that Snoke is all show, no go. He's like, you know, he's the the guy that's been taking steroids, but, you know, can't bench, you know, 500 pounds, whatever you want to, you know, whatever analogy you want to put to it. I think he can do some really cool flashy things with the force, but I don't think he's in, as in touch with the force as he thinks he is because what we get with Kylo in the cave is very parallel to obviously what we get in the last Jedi where Snoke thinks he knows exactly what Kylo is going to do, but he doesn't do what he thinks he's going to do. He, he does everything he says, but not in the same way that he says he's going to do it. He ignites the lightsaber. He strikes things down, yada, yada, yada. So with that said, do you think Snoke is really this great dark side power powerhouse that we're supposed to apparently believe he is? Or do you see him as a man behind the curtain? And with that, do you find one more compelling than the other? I am somewhere in the middle. And the way I would equate Snoke is to the way that I play Super Smash Bros. So to give you a point of reference, I would hate to say I'm not proud of this because I'm absolutely proud of this. But when I play Super Smash Bros with more than a couple of people, I pick a pretty good character and then I hide in the corner and wait for everyone else to kill each other. And then I pop out and I'm like, forgot about me. And then I still have all of my lives left. Sometimes I win. Sometimes I don't. I think what Snoke is, is a really good character who is waiting in the shadows for all these other main players to kill each other off so he can, you know, kind of jump in and finish the game. You know, so I think he, since he was ancient, he's been waiting around for someone else to destroy the Jedi, for someone else to destroy the Sith. And then finally, when there's no one else to really stand in his way and everyone else is on their last life, that's when he hops in and he's like, hey, forgot about all this cool stuff I could do over here in my corner. And because of that, he's truly just meant to be a foil to Luke Skywalker, who towards the end of his life did the exact same thing. He waited in the corner thinking someone else would do this job for him. And when he realized that wasn't the case, he then came out and had to save the day. So that's how I would equate Snoke to, yeah, he is a very powerful force being. And he can do all of these things that he says he can do. He just, for lack of, you know, 
courage maybe, but he's smart enough to not exhaust his powers the entire time. But just like the Jedi, he lets his hubris get in the way and that's his downfall. Hmm. So short answer, I don't think he is the man behind the curtain. I think he's way more powerful than that. I just don't think he's as powerful as he thinks he is. Yeah, he's definitely not. And, and I found it interesting how he talked about Luke in in this comic, you know, talking about... Kylo, with such respect. Yeah, Kyle asks, why do you talk about him with such respect? And he says, if I had Skywalker by my side, I would already have ruled the galaxy. That's really interesting because... I mean, at the end of the day, Palpatine didn't need Anakin. Anakin just made things a lot, lot easier. Palpatine still, maybe this is a hot take, but I've always had this opinion. Palpatine's still going to take over regardless of whether Anakin turns or not. Anakin turning is just going to make things a whole hell of a lot easier. Whereas Snoke... I don't think he can. I think he needs somebody. And in the last Jedi novelization, we get the idea that he didn't really for form the first order. Like you said, he waited for it to form. And then he stepped in and is like, hey, guys, look at this. I can do force lightning. Okay, you're scared of me now? Awesome. I'm the boss. But I don't think he's as in control of things as he thinks he is, which putting him next to Luke Skywalker, like you pointed out, is is a very interesting thing because I think that's maybe one of the things that, that hurt Luke is he thought he was in control of things more than he really is. And what's going to make the difference is giving yourself uh, over to the Force. And speaking of the Force, I'm just like all off. All, I, I just reread these comics right now, so I have all kinds of thoughts. Again, going back to my Force Remnants idea, I think it really, really plays up here. We get Luke's essence basically being left on Dagobah some 30 some odd years after he went and trained there um, it reminded me a lot of Leia sensing Maul's presence in the Naboo hangar in the Princess Leia yeah. right yeah oh I love it I love that comparison I love that I don't know. Maybe it's because I listen to one too too many true crime podcasts, but it's like when the cadaver dogs can go in and smell the dead body 30 years later. I like that the force is like a big cadaver dog. Okay. One, I didn't know there were cadaver dogs <laughs> and those poor, poor puppies. Um, yeah. And again, I think, I think all of this has been leading up to Rise of Skywalker. All of it, um, obviously, because it's the characters, but even more so, like just in the overall story, they're leaving these little things for us so that we can go back and go, oh, because that's what makes Star Wars so much fun is to go back and, and look at the things and be like, oh, I can't believe I missed that. Yeah. Um, and and I think the Force remnant idea how what, whatever term may be put on it i think is going to be something um that we get you know, particularly with the death star i really like that thought going into rise of skywalker because i don't want to say force ghosts are overdone but they've certainly been over analyzed 
especially from um, from a certain point of view where we start to get like the explanation of when and how someone can become a force ghost and who can become a force ghost. So I feel like if we start to introduce too many in Rise of Skywalker, it's just going to be too many things to try and go back and explain. So Yoda, we already know. Luke, it would make sense. But if we start talking about having, you know, Hayden Christensen come in for a cameo. Hey, be careful ha- with what you say next. Look, 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 I'm all for it. I'm just saying maybe it doesn't have to be as a force ghost entirely, but I like the thought that it could be, you know, we're sensing their remnants someplace. Even if they can't fully become a force ghost, if you go to the right place where they've been in time, you can pick up on that essence. I think that would be a much cleaner way than just here's everyone you've ever known as a force ghost, even with Han. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, it it kind of links to the whole Horcrux idea of mm-hmm. maybe that, that playing in. So basically what you're saying is if they go back to Coruscant, they can sense oporancesis. Um, well, that's awkward because I think he's been Snoke all along. So maybe they don't even have to go back to Coruscant. Wow. Mind blown. <laughs> there are only three other people in the world who are going to get that joke, and I'm okay with it. Um, <laughs> Jedi fi- snakes. <laughs> Final thoughts on... Um, Let's just do a, a, a state of the resistance, state of the first order okay. going into um, resistance reborn. Where's the resistance at? Let's start with that. All right. I'm going to throw Black Spire into this as well because Fair. that's that's prevalent. Um, okay. Are we doing this based on how we like this stuff or actually – you know, if we were to put them in a fight, how do I think they would rank up right now? Yes. All right. So how I like this stuff, um, I would give the resistance pieces a three out of five. And most of that is coming from Black Spire. Um, Spark of the Resistance I like, Allegiance I like. It just makes me a little worried because the characters aren't, as lovable as I want them to be. Whereas the first order materials that we've gotten are really good, really good. Um, I would give the materials that we've gotten about the first order while they are limited up to a four out of five, the States of the resistance. Um, I mean, they're, they're in a rough spot right now. They're, they're a two out of five. They are not firing on all cylinders. They need all the help they can get. Um, whereas the first order, I would give them actually only a three out of five because while they are at large and they're powerful, I'd imagine the infighting and the leadership is going to be a little bit too much and the lack of, um, civilian support that they seem to have is going to also hinder them. Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, I think with the First Order, that's a good point because they really do, and we're seeing this in Resistance, have to brainwash people or brain scrape people, which just is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard in my life, um, to, to get them on their side. So maybe it's a little bit quicker that people realize, hey, this First Order thing is not 
good. Whereas the Empire, there was some indoctrination that went on before, and there was the the segue from the Republic to the the Empire. And Palpatine was a lot more nuanced in how he did things than Snoke, and definitely than Kylo. Um, going into Rise of Skywalker. And I don't think this is going to change with Resistance Reborn. I think the First Order definitely has the advantage. I think that's how you, you go into a third act. I think to do it otherwise in a story about hope and redemption, which News Alert Star Wars is about hope and redemption, I think would just be foolish. Um, but I do think it comes down to the the leadership choices and that that's what these two things are pointing out. The leadership choices of Kylo Ren and Snoke are not as good as the leadership choices of Leia and Rey and Poe in terms of their motivation. With the Kylo Ren comic, we get Kylo very much just talking about, you know, succeeding where Vader failed, which goes very much in line with, you know, finishing what he started. He doesn't care about ruling the galaxy. He cares about living up to this legacy, and he's willing to do anything to get it he doesn't care about the first order the first order is a means to an end whereas those who are leading the resistance the fins the rays the pose the leias rose i think they they have the right heart in it um and they have the right motivation and that that's going to be like i said earlier that's going to be the deciding factor um at the end of the day you know you can have I mean, shoot, the Rebellion, look at what happened on on both Death Stars. Completely overwhelmed, but it was their ability to to work together, to look out for one another, and ultimately, like we saw in, in Rebels, like we're seeing in Resistance now, to get people to believe in their cause and, and to fight for that, whereas the First Order doesn't have a cause. Power is not a cause. Power is just a a want a desire and so i think yeah you're you're definitely on to the right track with the idea that the leadership is going to be the downfall of the first order we shall say we are so close to resistance reborn and all these other incredible stories about to come out that it's going to be a lot for us to talk about. And I'm so curious to see if this time in even just three weeks, we feel the same as we do right now. Well, and force collector has been released, I believe in the UK and been getting Mm -hmm. rave reviews. So there's that there's resistance reborn, which, you know, every time something comes out about that. And I, I even avoid stuff, you know, I don't read the, the, things that come out about excerpts yeah yeah. but even i'm like this is a big deal this i think this could be the the book that everybody's been waiting for you know everybody's been asking for the book that has the huge earth-shattering impact on the films that they feel that some of the legends books did i think that this is going to be the book so we'll we will have to wait and see and we of course will have that episode for you as soon as possible um, once that book comes out. We have more uh, Don't Burn the Sacred Text interviews. We actually have, uh, you know what? I'm going to take a risk. I haven't done this before. We're going to have Rebecca Roanhorse on the show um, before Resistance Reborn comes out. So stay tuned for that. And stay tuned for more things related to Clashing Sabers and books and you guys. Just stay tuned. Um, 
while you're staying tuned, you can come join us in the Clashing Sabers Star Wars community on Facebook, on Twitter at Clashing Sabers. Shoot us a DM. Uh, you can find our stuff on TeePublic. If you don't know where, just uh, just ask somebody. I'm sure they'll lead you somewhere to us, hopefully. I don't know. Lindsay, take it away. All right. You guys can find me um, for permanent lee on twitter at the lady of lore but if you want to find me in just the next two hours i'm going to be on my couch rewatching rogue one wondering how the hell brandon could ever interpret that elevator scene any other way um but let me know on twitter what you think of the elevator <laughs> scene and tell brandon how wrong he is uh so you guys can go ahead and find me on twitter at the lady of lore I mean, it's not the first time. It's not the last time we could write a book about all the times I've been wrong. But hey, <laughs> it's fun. So ladies and gentlemen, until next time, keep reading, keep writing. But whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and it, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text.